And, and this week we're going to look at another famous story from the life of Jesus. We're going to see how Jesus deals with the woman caught in adultery. Woman caught in adultery. Now, if this story was somehow turned into a movie, it would probably be rated R, for sure, right? Because we've got scandal, we've got sex, we've got violence, we've got, I'm sure we've got language in there, even though it's not written in there. There's, but, you know, somehow, as we read the story, it's, it's full of valuable lessons for us. Today, our lesson is about righteousness, the way of Jesus is the way of righteousness. And this is an interesting story because Jesus, in this story, he's put on the spot to make a judgment call. Someone has done something wrong. So tell us, Jesus, what are we to do about it? What should we do to make this right? Tell me that's something we've not said before, right? Something in this world is wrong. There's something wrong with this world. People are wrong or behaving badly. And we as Christians... Right? We're Christians and so we, we, are, we, want to do, we want to protect the way of righteousness and what is right. Or maybe you know the story already and you know that the woman doesn't get punished in this story. Not in the way they wanted. And you know that, that Jesus actually, he puts those judgmental Pharisees that brought her in, in their place. And you love this. like, yes, this is what our world needs. We need to stop judging people. Right? We're all sinners. So which is it? Which is it? Do we want to protect what is right? Do we need more mercy? We need... Can they both live on the, the same path? Can they both exist on the same way? What is the way of righteousness? Let's see what we can learn from Jesus in this. After I pray. God, we thank you so much for uh, bringing us here this morning. And I pray that as we look in your word, that you will help us, guide us step by step through the Holy Spirit to, as I speak and as we all listen uh, and understand this, just guide us as we, uh, you know, uncover what you want us to hear. And I pray that you'll guide us in that, Lord. Teach us how to apply it to our life and where and when. Help us as we wrestle through uh, this life that we walk, that we may walk your ways. In Jesus' name, amen. So let me set up the story today uh, uh, with a little bit of background as we approach John chapter 8. If you want to turn there, you can turn to John chapter 8. Uh, Jesus is in the heat of his ministry. We're talking, there's crowds following him everywhere. Uh, they're tracking him down. They hear about him. They track him down. They want to witness his miracles and his, listen to his teachings. And his enemies at the time uh, are those Pharisees or other Jewish leaders in the area. Now they think that Jesus was not the Messiah. They, they don't think Jesus is anything close to the Messiah. They thought that Jesus was mostly like a rebellious, blaspheming heretic, uh, which helps us understand why they kept trying to stop him and stop his momentum. They didn't think he was who he, he was. Not only was Jesus challenging their religious authority and all the, their teachings and practices, the way they're practicing, but this has to be like it looks like the makings of a complete rebellion in their area, which is not good for them. They, they've got to handle what's going on. They've got to get a handle on it because this threatens not only their position as religious leaders, but in the, the world of Rome, Rome is in charge of this area. If they don't get a handle on rebellion, then Rome's not going to trust them to be in charge. So it threatens them also in their political position 
So they got to get a handle on him. And I say this because it's important if we're going to understand this next story. They have set a new trap for Jesus. And it would seem, as we watch them come in, it would seem like they are they're on some kind of religious mission from God to expose sin and to defend holiness. That's what they've come to do, right? But all they're really doing is trying to make Jesus look bad. And they're trying to protect their own interests. And uh, Maybe you've studied this story before, but it goes like this. Chapter 8, verse 1. It says, But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, and at dawn he appeared again in the temple courts, where all the people gathered around him. He sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law of Moses, uh, in the law of Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? So Jesus is just sitting there, starting his lesson with the people who gathered in, gathered in the temple court, and um, then they show up with this scheme. How convenient is their timing here, right? It's as if they knew the time in which Jesus taught and where he would be teaching. And so just so happens to have this situation develop so that it could create this spectacle in front of an audience to which they think they're going to benefit. Other things that come to mind that indicate this is some kind of setup is like, you've maybe heard this before, setting this story. Like we, she, they bring this woman in. It takes two to tango, right? Where is he? Where's the man? And you might think, well, okay, maybe it's just the times they live in. Maybe he's immune to such punishment because of the patriarchal society or, you know, just being ancient times. Or, but no, like the law of Moses was clear. If you go read Leviticus chapter 20, verse 10, very clear that the punishment for a sin like this, if they're reading it the way they want to read it, is that it's, this punishment is for the adulterer and the adulteress. And so if the Pharisees are looking to, quote, honor God with this move and, and honor the law, someone is missing. Makes you suspicious, right? It makes you wonder, too, how did she get caught? Like, how were these Pharisees somehow present or in the proximity of the infraction? Maybe that explains where the man is, why he's not there. Maybe he was part of this setup and, and a plant or something like that. I mean, all of these questions I'm giving you, these speculations have surrounded this story since it's, you know started being told. So I'm not telling you anything that I made up. These are just speculations that have always been made, but they're not clear as to what uh, the answers are. But a clear indication is that these Pharisees, they came to Jesus in the name of righteousness. But it was dripping with hypocrisy. So here's the trap. He says, so what do, you, what do you say, Jesus? What should we do? They call him teacher. And we know they don't respect him enough to use that title sincerely. The law of Moses commands us to stone her to death. What do you say? And so here's the trap. They, they think, on one hand, if he condemns her, the, the, he becomes her judge, right? And to the Romans, they did not like a common man taking on that kind of authority. Like, it's, it's grounds for being arrested if a citizen pronounces a judgment and, and, and holds that kind of authority without permission. So... That's grounds for getting accused and getting arrested, which is what they're hoping for. Like, if he makes a judgment call. Also, 
if he condemns her, calling her guilty may cause him to lose his crowd because part of the reason some of them are coming is they're attracted to his compassion and to his mercy and so it might be a bad look that's what they're thinking right that's a part of the trap on the other side if he excuses her and doesn't say she should be punished well then they can accuse him of contradicting the law of moses right and being unconcerned about holiness and righteousness. And so as far as they see it, it's a win-win. No matter how he answers this, the trap is set. Verse 6, it says they were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and he started to write in the, on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and he said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. So the trap was set. But we read that Jesus just stoops down and he starts writing in the dirt, almost disinterested about the question and the conversation as a whole. And I know that a lot of people speculate as to what Jesus was writing in the dirt. There's been a lot of conversation about that. However, you know what I like most about that move, him stooping down and writing in the dirt? It says that while he was writing in the dirt, they kept on questioning him. Like, have you ever been talking to someone and said something you thought was very important and you're hoping to get a reaction, to get a response and they ignore it. Yeah, most of the time that's just bad social skills or rude. But you, you know it, make, it makes you frustrated because you're waiting for a response. And well, right here, I imagine Jesus is using his silence strategically. No matter what he's writing in the dirt there, his demeanor, I think, is what is wisdom here. He's not in a rush to give them some kind of reaction that they've planned for. It allows them to create a scene and their belligerent attitudes expose their conniving ways. Also, maybe it gives them time to think, to figure out what, is, what exactly he's going to say, right? Be slow to speak, like it says in the book of James. But eventually he does stand up and he gives this statement that has echoed through the generations. He said, let anyone who has not sinned throw the first stone at her. Now, we're going to talk about the spiritual lessons, about righteousness and all that, but can we just take a second and appreciate the way Jesus brilliantly disarms this trap with zero damages? I mean, they thought that there's no way he could weasel out of this one. However, by the time he's done, he protects the woman, saves her some level of dignity. He doesn't make a judgment. What I mean is he doesn't give, uh, you know, he doesn't behave like a judge. And give her a sentence. And so there's no reason they can accuse him or blame him of doing anything. Rome's not going to be mad at him. He calls them out as being guilty of sin as well. And he doesn't betray the law of Moses. I mean, he doesn't say that she was right in the way she was living. He even tells her to stop the way she's living. And then as a bonus, they leave. Their scheme fails They go away with their tail between their legs and they're made to look like fools. Brilliant 
move for Jesus. Doing what is right or discerning, having discernment for what is best is sometimes a very difficult path case by case. And this story creates a stir amongst believers. How are we supposed to use this story? How are we supposed to take this story and use it in our life? Like, if I put myself in the shoes of the Pharisees, let's just say that, you know, I am, I'm like the Pharisees. I am too quick to condemn, and I'm, I'm unwilling to look at my own sin. Like, a lot of us have that problem at times. Like, that, that does seem to be one of the angles that, that we need to consider as we study this, because this isn't the first time that Jesus taught about this. Remember in Matthew chapter 5, in the Sermon on the Mount, when he said, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, Take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Put those verses together with the ones we've already read, and you can see that at some point, we might have the tendency to judge beyond what God intended. Now, on the flip side of that, we are encouraged in other parts of Scripture, we are encouraged to hold each other accountable. Which takes judgment. We're encouraged to correct, to rebuke, to unashamedly preach the truth and call out the evil things of this world. So, where's the balance? Where's the balance? At what point have I lost sight of the plank in my own eye? Maybe some wisdom here is that when we approach righteousness, we start with humility. We start with humility and truly take stock of our own depravity. Before we ever open our mouths. Maybe some wisdom here is that we let God be in charge of what God's in charge of. God is in charge of condemnation. Let's leave it with him. Maybe there are some stones that I'm holding that I need to put down. Romans chapter 12, verse 19 says, Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, It is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. God is ultimately the judge, so we don't need to take that role from him. But it's hard to walk this path. It's hard to discern because we want to honor God by doing what is right. And sometimes it's going to bleed into how we view other people. And how we live and how they live and how they live might affect how the world is around you. And we want our families and we want our communities and our country and our world to know God's ways and to follow God's ways. The way of Jesus is the way of righteousness. So we don't want to be soft on sin. But is Jesus being soft here? When he convinces them not to kill the woman caught in adultery, is he being soft? Well, if that's what you want to call it, but I say no. I say no. He never affirms 
this woman's choices, her lifestyle here. But here's what he observes. He observes that adultery was not the only sin standing in his presence. And that was something that these Pharisees were not willing to see. You see, sometimes when we discuss the way of righteousness, it only applies to those sins that we see in others. But Jesus needs us to see our own sin. And it's not like others sin, it's not like it's irrelevant. Those things need to be addressed. And that's a part of what we do as followers of Jesus. But it has to come from a place of humility. And if you don't think that your sin stinks, then you probably aren't the one that needs to be speaking. That's the perspective maybe of the Pharisees. Now, if you were to put yourself in the shoes of the woman, it's going to be a different lesson. I, I, you know, I've just been caught in the act of sin. I'm, I've already, I'm already ashamed of it. But now I'm in the middle of someone else's scheme. I'm singled out. I'm getting humiliated, dragged out into public, and put on some kind of stage like an animal, prepared for execution. And maybe I know, maybe I know the law, and I know that according to the law, technically they might be right even. I, but I'm, maybe I'm begging for mercy. I don't know. Or fighting for my life. But then I see this man, Jesus, silently riding in the dirt. Who is this man? And why is he the one that gets to decide my fate today? I just want all this to be over and what's taking him so long? And then it's like a, it was like a dream, right? He stands up and he says, let anyone who has not sinned throw the first stone at her. And so I close my eyes and I'm waiting for the stones to start hurling in, just bracing for impact. But they don't come. In fact, all my accusers walk away. And then Jesus says, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And I don't understand what's happening here, but I, they, they're all gone. So I say, no one, sir. Then neither do I condemn you. Now, go and leave your life of sin. So I go home. And what have I learned today about the way of righteousness? The way of Jesus. Do I go home and I think to myself, oh, great, sweet. My, my lifestyle has been approved. No. I mean, not if I'm thinking clearly. Yes, the Pharisees were the ones that got blasted today because they were wrong for what they did. But in no way am I to go home and think that my life choices are somehow now justified. My lesson's going to be different than theirs. I just learned that in the realm of righteousness, there is mercy and grace. They never taught me about that. This is new. Now, what am I going to do about that? If that's my lesson, what am I, am, will I listen to the final words that Jesus spoke to me? Will I go and leave my life of sin? Now, that's, that's for me to decide. But there's no mistaking it that my choices were not on the way of righteousness. That needs to change if I'm going to be on the right way. But who knew that mercy and grace were a part of this path? 
I've learned that Jesus is something special. His way is both compassionate and holy. He protected me. He cared about me. And he holds me accountable to do what is right. So both the Pharisee and the woman have to go home and they have to reflect and they have to ask, can I walk that way? Can I walk in the way of righteousness, aware of my own sin, humbly walking and using mercy? Can I walk and leave my life of sin behind and compassionately hold others to the same standard? We put ourselves in the Pharisee's shoes. We put ourselves in the woman's shoes. And here we are today, sitting in our own shoes. Let's get back in our own shoes. When we walk the way of Jesus, we walk the way of righteousness, and we look at this story, we are just faces in the crowd. We're looking at all of it, right? We are the followers of Jesus trying to take it all in and to be challenged in all those directions. My goal today was to try and help you realize that if we're going to walk the way of righteousness then it's going to be more than right and wrong. The way of righteousness is more than just black and white, right and wrong. If that were the case, then we would all be wrong and we would all be hopeless. On the other side, though, it's more than just mercy and grace. If our faith is all about God forgives everything and everyone and we're all going to heaven, then I fear that we're holding on to false hope. And one day we'll face the wrath of God. The way of Jesus is this perfect blend of walking right and being forgiven by the grace of God. It's our job as his followers to learn from him to walk with him, to learn from Jesus how to walk that way. And hopefully this this story helps. As we leave here, maybe we need to show more mercy to other people. Maybe we need to look at our own sin and take care of our own planks. You know what it said? It said when you take your own plank out, then you can see more clearly. What do you see more clearly for? To help your brother take the speck out of their eye. You don't leave a speck in your brother's eye. You take your plank out, humble yourself, and then you can help humbly. Maybe that's something that, that, that I need to work on, that you need to work on. Maybe you need to work on showing yourself some mercy. Maybe we need to work on leaving our life of sin. All of those things can help us to walk the way of righteousness. Or Jesus can say, one day... I don't condemn you. Come be with me forever because we put our faith in in the grace and the mercy of Jesus. Let's wrestle with that this week. Pray with me.